The Lord be with you. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to John. Lord, be on my mind, be on my lips, and in my heart. Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. But early in the morning he arrived again in the temple area, and all the people started coming to him. And he sat down and taught them. Then the scribes and the Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in adultery and made her stand in the middle. And they said to him, Teacher, this woman was caught in the very act of committing adultery. Now in the law, Moses commanded us to stone such women. What do you say? They said this to test him so that they could have a charge to bring against him. Jesus bent down and began to write on the ground with his finger. But when they continued asking him, he straightened up and said to them, Let the one among you who is without sin be the first to throw a stone at her. Again, he bent down and wrote on the ground. And in response, they went away, one by one, beginning with the elders. So he was left alone with the woman before him. Then Jesus straightened up and said to her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? And she replied, No one, sir. And then Jesus said, Neither do I condemn you. Go. And from now on, do not sin anymore. The Gospel of the Lord. Uh, now I know why they had the children leave the room. This gospel passage is very famous and very instructive. And so you know the scene. Jesus is teaching in the temple area. And the scribes and the Pharisees bring to him this woman caught in the very act of adultery. And then the text tells us it's a test. It reminds me of Gospel of Matthew, I believe, where Jesus is teaching and they bring to him and ask him the question, is it lawful to pay taxes or not? And he has a dilemma, and he asks them to pull out a coin and whose image is on the coin. And in so doing, he shows that they're the sinners carrying the corn, coin according to the law, a graven image. Here, too, Jesus responds in a way that neither denies the law, but also shows his mercy and his wisdom. And so the first thing to notice is, of course, 
that they bring only the woman. The law does state in both Leviticus and Deuteronomy that it's both the woman and the man who are to be stoned. And so the question really is, why didn't they bring both? Could be many reasons, but they're not really concerned about the law. They're concerned about trapping Jesus. So in a way, they're caught in the act of a sin. But the dilemma or the test, I think you may know, but you may not, is that Jewish people lived under Roman occupation. And so according to the law, if they follow the law of Moses, their religion, they're supposed to stone this person. But under the Roman government, they're not allowed to do that. They're not allowed to commit murder unless there's a trial by the government and someone is convicted justly. And so Jesus, if he says she should be stoned, would be in trouble with Rome. And if he says no, she shouldn't, he's contradicting the law of Moses. And so Jesus starts to write in the ground, <laughs> bends down. What is that all about? The answer is we don't really know. And so scripture scholars will theorize. But one theory is that as teachers of the law sometimes did, because they didn't have blackboards or chalkboards or PowerPoint presentations, they would write the law in the ground and point to it to teach. And so one possibility is that he's writing the law, the Ten Commandments to remind them of their sins. And then, of course, when they push him further, he says, those without sin throw the first stone. But no matter what Jesus was really doing, and again, we don't know, the effect is very compassionate or powerful to me. You see, they force her to stand in the middle. She's being publicly shamed and accused. And he's taking the focus off her and putting it on them, the accusers. And so they, recognizing that they too have sinned and are not worthy to throw the first stone according to his challenge, become publicly shamed. And because of that, they walk away. And then Jesus says to the woman, has no one condemned you? She says, no. He says, neither do I. This passage, Scripture scholars tell us, is not originally part of John's Gospel. The earliest manuscripts don't have it. The language is very noticeably of a different style than the rest of John's Gospel. And it's even found in some Gospels, manuscripts, at the end of Luke's Gospel. But we believe this is inspired. This is something that truly happened and that was preserved by word of mouth and later added because the church felt it was important. But I think it's very instructional to notice where it finally ended up. This is John chapter 8. And at the end of this gospel, Jesus is going to be accused of blasphemy and they're going to pick up stones to stone him. I think we're seeing the teacher 
teaching us what his ministry is going to do. You see, the law existed before Jesus, and the punishment of law is of breaking the law is death, the punishment of sin. But he comes into the world to stand in the middle of that circle, to stand in the place of us who are sinners, so that we may be set free from the condemnation and given new life, a chance to be reconciled. And then he says to her, go and sin no more. How have you guys been doing with that? Is that not contradicting what he just did? He pointed out that they were all sinners and that we're all sinners and that we need God. But he commands her to go and sin no more. Well, I say in many other places, Scripture does say that we should not sin. We are all sinners in need of salvation. But Christ came into the world to remove the penalty of sin so that we may have life, but also gives us a new power to rise above the law and to become perfected and Christ-like to not sin. Many times we Catholics don't talk like this. Sometimes we even use the fact that we're sinners as an excuse to sin. But we're called to perfection, to Christ-likeness. And the key in this passage, I think, also is instructional. What sin is she guilty of? It's the sin of adultery. A lot of people will say, oh, the Catholic Church is hung up on sex. But really the sin of adultery or infidelity is symbolic of the sin of all humanity and of Israel from all time. You see, we were created in love, created in the Garden of Eden to live in harmony and union with God who is love. We were created to love, and our sin is to turn from that love. God formed a covenant with his people and gave himself in love and fidelity, perfectly faithful to us, yet we turned from that love. And so the secret to being able to not sin is to not think of sin as following the law. The law can only condemn us. If we think that by our power we can follow the law, we become very self-centered. The law becomes something that's an obstacle to our happiness. But sin is really turning from the love of God that God offers us in Christ Jesus. And to know that love that God wants to give us, it fills us and changes us so completely that we really don't want to sin. If we follow through our sin, we don't feel as tempted because it's a violation of God's love. It hurts God, who loves us and loves all people. It separates us from God. And so we want to be in that love that God gave us. 
and so we avoid sin. For your homework, I'm going to give you the first letter of John. It's a powerful letter talking about this, just this. In chapter 1, it says, if anyone says they haven't sinned, they're a liar, and the truth is not in them. But I write this so that you will sin no more, and that God is love, and in this we can see his love, that he sent his Son to redeem us, and he gave us the Holy Spirit, and he dwells in us, and we live in his love. And if we sin, it separates us from that love. And so, God does save us from sin. The law points it out, but the law only condemns us. God wants us to turn towards his love and allow that love to change our hearts so that we don't sin. And when we recognize that sin hurts ourselves, hurts God, and hurts others, it's less tempting. And so, St. Paul tells us that he considers all things rubbish except for Christ. This is the secret of falling in love with God, to have our loves in proper order. The love of God must remain center and focused in our life. We must meditate on what God has done for us regularly, know it and carry it in our hearts like we would our lovers, to know that love so that when we see other things that might distract us, we put them in proper perspective and wouldn't trade anything for that love we have in Christ. And finally, in closing, there's one other difficult, very difficult part of this passage. See, this woman who was condemned was imprisoned by her accusers. And Jesus says, he who is not guilty, throw the first stone. It wasn't until they all walked away and put down their stones that she was able to go free. God has come to forgive us of our sins, to give us new life. But God also requires of us to forgive others so that they may experience that fullness of life. And that is hard. And I know sometimes people have suffered great hurt and pain due to sin of others, infidelity in marriages, abuse, terrible crimes against our loved ones. And it is hard to forgive. But Christ commands us to forgive. It's one of the things he did most often because Christ died to set all people free so that they may repent. And if we fail to forgive others, if we fail to put down that stone and want to wound them, hurt them, or insult them, we work against Christ. We work against his mission and what he lived and died for. And so maybe even a harder commandment is not to avoid sin, but to forgive those who have sinned against us. But that too is possible because that same love God has for the sinner, God also has for the victim. And we can take our wounds and join them to the wounds of Christ. And his love can heal us. For that same love is present for all of us. And so whether we are struggling with sin or struggling to forgive those who have sinned, 
let us turn to God's love and to sin no more and to forgive others and to draw close to him and do nothing to separate ourselves from his love.